0: Groundhog Week this day, this past week. Did anybody watch this movie? I did. It was hilarious. It had been a long time since I watched it, but after making this bumper, I thought, oh, I'm going to watch this movie, and it was really funny. I'd forgotten how funny it was. But we are continuing our series and Old Habits, New Habits, and I invite you now that if you haven't already to, um, down, to open the app up. We do have sermon notes available for you to follow along if that's your kind of thing. Um, we are so glad that we can offer that to you. Uh, but, friends... Oh, man, my clicker. Spiritual warfare. Can you friends advance that for me and I'll keep talking? Um, so my little baby turned one. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I know. Yay! Give Collins a little bit of love. So after the initial shock that I went through of her turning one, we decided to have a party for her. And uh, so we we didn't do anything crazy because you know she's just one but we went out we got the balloons we printed out pictures to show her little monthly progressions um, of how she had changed over the year and my sister made the cake and she had a smash cake as you can tell she really enjoyed it so much so she didn't even want to stop take the picture I'm like come on kid that's really rude Um, but we had a really great time she was surrounded by people that she loved and people that loved her and it turned out really really well but it took a lot of planning it took a lot of preparing and Jesus also prepared this meal that we are talking about today. We're talking about my favorite habit, communion. And so I want to talk a little bit about how Jesus prepared this meal for us before we get into the actual meal. All right. So we're going to look at. You guys are going to have to click back there for me because this isn't going to work. So if you would, uh, let's hear the word from Luke seven verses. Um, sorry, twenty two verses seven through thirteen. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. And they asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. All right, so it's easy to think that Jesus made things happen through angels and his provision and just lined everything up supernaturally, but this was Passover season. This was the most busy time of year for that area. So I think it's highly unlikely that he, you know, did all of that. I think what's more likely is that he personally sought out the owner of this house and prepared himself this, this meal. He, was, he eagerly desired to have this meal with his folks, so he wanted to do everything personally to make sure all of the elements of the Passover meal were ready and waiting. And then the cool thing is, He asked Peter and John to help out with that, to take care of the rest. I mean, you can hear the anxiety in their voice in this verse when they were like, well, how do you expect us to do that? Because they were going, this is Passover. This is the busiest time of year. There's not going to be room or space or food to do any of that for. But Jesus had even worked out the fact that this man would be carrying a glass jar. Because in those days, the women were the ones who carried the glass jars. The men carried leather. So he worked out every single intricate detail to make sure that they would be able to have this meal together. And then he asked Peter and John to help with that. Now, Peter and John at the time didn't realize how big of a deal this meal was actually going to be. But I'm sure after the fact, or even during when Jesus started saying things like, This is my body, this is my blood, that they were going, Huh, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit more special than even Passover is. You see, Jesus helped them, had them step in to help prepare a meal that would forever change the way they, and so many of us, approach bread and cup. If you have prepared communion and taken part in getting this ready for others to take part in, you know it's a very special thing to do that. And if you haven't, I invite you to let us know. we love to get you plugged in to helping prepare the table for others to take part in this great meal that Jesus gives us. Now, just as Collins' birthday, we had all the traditional pieces. We had the balloons, we had the cake and the pictures and the happy birthday song. There would have been traditional elements of what this Passover meal would have had. For instance, the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread was eaten because that's what the Hebrews had eaten the night before they journeyed out of Egypt. And then they would have had the bitter herbs. And they had those because they were literally so bitter that they made their eyes water so that they too could take part in the sorrow the Hebrews had felt when they were slaves in Egypt. But there was another piece of that traditional part. So typically when we see this, we think of the Last Supper, we think of the table the beautiful painting that uh, da Vinci gave us. And it's beautiful. It's a breathtaking image for us to look at, to absorb, to reflect on. Looking at Jesus' face, one day you may see something, the next day you may see something else. And while this is beautiful, it's not historically accurate. But what is accurate is this. They reclined. They reclined around the table on their left sides, eating food, while being able to conversate with one another. And there was a very important reason why they did this. People who were free ate like this, reclining. People who were slaves had to stand. Every single piece of the Passover meal had a traditional piece in it, had something, a sign to commemorate, to remember— that freedom out of the bondage of Egypt. You see, Jesus prepared so the disciples could take part in the story of the past, but also allow them to be present in the moment to what was happening at that very time and to further confirm that the future had been with them all along. Jesus was the future. He was the kingdom there before them, and he was coming again. So the future had been with them the whole time. See, preparation is important, and Jesus lets us know that in those verses that we visited, because it allows us to be present to the moment, to celebrate fully what the meaning of what we are doing is. So let's jump into this time capsule thing I've kind of sent at you all by visiting the verses of Luke 22, 14 through 20. This is short, so I would love for you all to read this aloud with me. Let's jump in. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, "This is my body which is given for you. do this in remembrance of me." And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, "This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood." Now what Jesus is doing here has everything to do with time, and I want to dig into that a little bit a little bit more here. so NT Wright says this about this time. So God's future came into the present in Jesus and so has become a part of our past precisely because the vital event in our past, the vital e- event being Jesus dying and resurrecting, always was part of God's future. It has no difficulty in catching up again and again with our ever changing present. Wherever we may be right now, wherever, whatever happens, whatever life throws at us, we have this past to confirm who we are, that we have this freedom, but also this hope of what's to come, that Jesus is going to be returning to us. Now, Jesus shared this meal with the disciples who knew of Passover, They had celebrated it. They had remembered the freedom that the Hebrews felt when they were delivered out of Egypt from out of slavery. They knew their past and why it was important. But Jesus came to bring a new past. He came to renew the past. Jesus makes all things new, right? He gave a new meal. He gave us a new covenant. So he gave us a new past to remember when we celebrate this meal together. He had said it, he had proclaimed it, proclaiming who he was, proclaiming the kingdom of God coming, and he provided this meal through as a way for people who believed in him to not only remember his death and resurrection what the disciples didn't even know about yet, but how that death is present in our lives now, and how through that death we celebrate the future, the great banquet that we will all celebrate with God that this meal foreshadows. He gave us this common element of bread and cup to let us know that his body was broken for us, and we have been redeemed through his blood. His past is why we have a present, and we live in the present time, placing our hope in the future of when he will return again. When we come to the table, when we come to take bread and cup, our past, present, and future all collide in and through Jesus Christ. We now live in his past, redeemed, not by our pasts of bondage and sin. We are free, and today we live in that truth of that freedom that he gives us, the grace that he freely offers us, and the love that he abundantly shares with us all while looking to the hope and the faith we have of his return someday when things will finally be as they should be. Now, I love to look at the stories of Jesus through the lens of his humanity and the divinity. How did he balance his humanity with his divinity? When we read those verses, it said he eagerly desired to have this meal with his disciples, with his apostles. He was excited to have this meal, and maybe he was a little bit anxious too because he knew what was coming the next day. But we see these glimpses of his humanity all throughout his ministry. But then he also had to stick to his divine purpose of sharing this meal, of instituting it as a sign, a reminder to us to remember what his purpose was and who he is. And so how do we balance out God's holiness with intimacy. When we take this meal, how do we balance that? Has any of you, have you you ever seen kids take communion? It's the stinking most cute thing you ever see. But at my former church, we did communion every week. And after we would serve everyone, the adults on the, you know, on the main level, we would go switch out the purple grape juice for the white grape juice. Okay, it got messy. So we'd go upstairs and we would give communion to those kiddos. The first time I did it, I was overwhelmed. I was really nervous because they were just taking huge chunks, and I'm stressing out like, oh, my gosh, we've got to be respectful, and is this bad? This is God's body, and oh, my gosh, and they're getting it everywhere, and there's not going to be enough. I mean, just anxious all over. So the next week, whenever I was serving again, I was taking it upstairs. All this anxiety was running through my mind again, like, okay, I'm going to put my foot down. We're going to do it the right way. And God says, Ashley, be as little children be as little children and it made me realize that maybe those kids in that moment felt like they needed that chunk of bread and God had fed 5,000 we were going to have plenty I needed to stop stressing out about that but when we look at the people the Hebrews after their exodus within three days they were complaining we should have just stayed in Egypt we had all the food we wanted all the drink we wanted and so what does God do well let's see what he does Let's look at Exodus uh, chapter 16, verse 4. He says, "Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. You see, when we come to this table, we take what we need for that day. We just prayed it. Give us this day our daily bread. Some days we need more than others. And that's okay. Let us be as little children when we come to his table, knowing that whatever we need, however much grace we feel we need to take, that he has enough to go around. This practice, this habit of holy communion is just that it is holy, but it is also personal. We serve a God who is holy, but he is intimate. We serve a God who is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Creator but also our friend, our father, and our advocate. So how do we build a holy habit while also maintaining the personal element that it offers? Well, first, got to participate. you got to do it. Do it as often as you can. Now, here at St. John, we do it monthly. Some churches do it weekly. It was rumored that John Wesley, the founder of the UMC, did it every single day. He needed the reminder Every single day of what allowed him to live every single day. And that was God's grace. And I want to offer it. I know right now it's, it's weird. Times are weird. At least I'm so thankful we get to celebrate Holy Communion. We are offering a drive-through communion. But if that doesn't even work for you, those of you who are watching online, we want to invite you to call me and Tom. We want you to celebrate communion in whatever way. So if we need to come to you, you let us know. This is a holy habit that we need to continue to live in. Rico Jamez says this about um, communion. Sharing at Jesus' table means extending it for more people, making space for others to eat, finding fulfillment, and setting the table for those who are hungry. The table extended in this way becomes a feast, a banquet at which humankind and divine mystery mingle in mutual fellowship. So this has a few implications of how we uh, build this habit. So small groups, accountability groups, families, church, I want you to break bread together. I want you to to take the time to build the relationships, to, to eat together. Jesus did this all throughout his ministry. So much of what Jesus did revolved around food. And he did that because it matters. As a discipleship church, as disciples, the first step in discipleship is relationship. And Jesus knew a good meal, some time to eat together, would help build that, and he did that. So it's okay to set down the Bible studies, to set the Bible down, to set your notes down, and come together around a meal and do life together. Live out that word and what that word means for us celebrate life together in your groups, in your families, and as a church. And I know right now it's hard to do, but you can do it over Zoom. I've heard several uh, groups doing that over Zoom, and it's been very, very successful. But there's also another implication of that, and that's feeding others. So maybe you know of people within our community who aren't doing anything. They're not Zooming, they're not getting out, but you really miss them. And you know that they're probably lonely. And maybe you are feeling a little bit of loneliness. So take them a meal. And when all that stuff, here comes Ashley's caveat. I'll usually have one every sermon. When that stuff comes in your head of, oh, well, I'll make them feel bad, or I may offend them, or they may not want it, or, oh, I don't know, I just don't want to impose. Stop that. Stop that. That's doubt, and that's fear, and that's hindering the spirit. And on the other side of that, or sometimes I lie, is if people bring you something, if they want to help out, let them. Stop saying, oh, it makes me look weak if I ask for help. Oh, I don't want to accept that because I don't want to bother anybody. Stop that. That's hindering the Holy Spirit. Remember, we love because God loved us first, and we accept that love. And so we are called to love others and let others love us. Love and be loved, friends. But also, it's not only about feeding and sharing meals with those we know and love, but also those who may be struggling, who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Because of the craziness we have lived in this past year, there are so many families for the first time in their lives that do not know where their next meal is coming from. We have to feed them. We have to extend this table out to take care of them. It's such a missional meal. When we are reminded of taking this meal, we're reminded how we are fed spiritually, physically, and emotionally. We know who takes care of our nourishment. And so we've got to live that nourishment out. God takes care of us. Sometimes he takes care of us through others. And so we are called to take care of others as well. This meal doesn't stop here. Paul says this to the church of Corinth, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim. I want you to do something today as we get ready to come around this table. As Tom comes and he invites you, as he opens up this table, doing exactly what God does, as he invites all of us to it, I want you to watch all the different actions he takes. And as you come up to accept the bread and the cup, I want you to notice and be aware of all the different actions you have to take in order to to accept it. And then, most importantly, notice God's actions. Notice his presence here with us. Knowing that he is the one who invites you, who makes this bread and cup what they are, and who is challenging you, who is here mysteriously but wonderfully. God gave us this meal because there's lots of action in it. And he does that because that's what being a disciple is. That's what being a follower of Christ is. It's all about action. We take action not only here at the table, here in worship, but out there, proclaiming the truth of why we celebrate this meal. We remember what Christ did for us on the cross. We allow that to shape our lives today and right now, always proclaiming the hope of when God will return to make all things new when Jesus returns again. We remember and we act. God nourishes us and we allow that nourishment to fuel our thoughts, our words, and our actions in and through Jesus who invites us to eat with him. He has prepared this table for us and now he invites us into his humanity and into his divinity. If you would please rise in body and spirit so that we can praise God and worship him.